Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny, and I'll be your host. Hi, welcome back. Today is episode 73, and we're going to be talking about Beyond the Wand by Tom Felton. And I have been so excited about this episode because I wanted to share this story. And it was really hard not to share this story in earlier episodes, but I really wanted to wait for this one to tell the story. So I have the best friends. I've said this multiple times, and it's so true. The people who are in my life are people who are just genuinely good-hearted people, and I always enjoy talking to them. It's such a joy seeing them, knowing what wonderful people they truly are. So 2023 is my no-buy book year, so I'm not buying any books for myself. Beyond the Wand is a book that was on my to-be-read list, and I had it on hold at the library, but it was a months-long wait for the book at the library. And I was visiting Avenue Coffee House a few weeks ago. And if you do make it to the end of my episodes, you know that my good friends at Avenue Coffee House are also my sponsors. And it was an incredible surprise when I was gifted Beyond the Wand and a big bottle of wine to pair with it. And it completely made my entire month of January and I'm still glowing just thinking about it. So thank you so much, Sarah, again, for the thoughtful and generous gifts. Emma Watson wrote a beautiful foreword for the book, and in it she states, friendships are the linchpin of human existence, and I could not agree more. I'm so fortunate to have such incredible family. I know a lot of people don't. I don't know what I would do without my mom and dad. They can't be there every minute, but I'm fortunate enough to have friends that are like family Wealth helped me both thrive and survive this life. So I just want to say thank you, Susan. Even though she doesn't listen to this podcast, we have been friends since I was 17 years old. While we might have an unconventional friendship, it's one that has kept me sane and helped me form the person I am today. Sigra and Erin, you two have been such an inspiration to me. I love both of your individualities. I love that you both stand up for what you believe in, regardless of the repercussions. And I love that you both live authentically. If anyone deserves success, it's the two of you. Brittany and Mark, you've both become like family to me. And I don't know how I would have ever survived as a single mom without your support and love. And all the wonderful gifts are never necessary, but it's so nice to have friends who know me as well as you do. Angela, I'm so proud of the person that you have grown into and the person you are continuing to grow into. You are such an incredible person and I'm really proud of you. And also some friends that are in my life who have not spent as much time with me as some of those people. Katie, Bojena, you are two people that I absolutely adore. And I don't know what I would do without you in my lives as well, in my life as well. (laughs) So before we get too overly emotional for this episode, let's get into the booze. And I think a red wine was an excellent pairing for this book. Sarah was like, I'm not sure if this is a good choice or not. And it absolutely was a great choice. You know, red wine just goes with like vampires, witches, and magic so well. It, it just was perfect. And this opera number three, Red Blend from Italy, was phenomenal. It's a little more than I generally spend coming in at $15.99, but it was a gift and it worked out nicely. Though 
I will say I would pay again for this red because it was really good. It was very velvety, smooth, yet vibrant. And it was on the sweeter side for what I normally drink, but not like sickly sweet as some people like. I'll be headed to the annual wine party that I go to where there are so many people that I adore, but also don't have a very good taste in wine. <laughs> I just talked to the friend who hosts it and she said, bring two bottles this year, one for the tasting competition and the other one for just drinking after. For the drinking afterwards, she said, just grab a bottle of Arbor Mist. So that should give you a good idea of the feel for this crowd. And I picked up a bottle, not of Arbor Mist, but of Barefoot Wine. And I think that'll work just as well as the Arbor Mist. <laughs> So the flavors you are supposed to taste with this wine are spicy notes, hints of chocolate, and licorice. I had some subtle flavors of like a cinnamon nutmeg, but I couldn't take, taste the licorice or the chocolate. That could be because I'm used to some more chocolatey beers and the flavor in the wine is lost on me. So it's said to pair with stewed, grilled, or roasted meat and perfect with mature cheeses. And I would agree with those pairings, but it was such a smooth, mellow flavor. I could see adding it to like a red sauce or using it in red wine braised meats. I definitely imagined having a glass with an epic Harry Potter feast, like in the Great Hall, having a glass of this wine. It would be such an excellent wine to share with friends if you had like a Harry Potter night and cooked a bunch of foods from the movies or books and then watched the movies together. Since the boy and I are rewatching the movies, a whole Harry Potter themed day might be in our future. I'll have to get another bottle of this at Costco and sip it while the boy is drinking butterbeer. Non-alcoholic for him, of course. So getting right into the book, as I do with members, we're going to skip the author section because basically the whole conversation about the book is really about the author as well. Also, reviewing memoirs, it's going to be chock full of spoilers. I can never give it all away because this is only like a, you know, 20-some, 30-some minute podcast. This one might be a little bit longer than that, but I don't think that the books aren't worth reading, even if you're listening to this podcast. But if you don't want to hear anything about the book, stop now and read it first and then come back to it. So this memoir was a refreshing deviation from kind of the heart-wrenching memoirs that I've read lately, and I'm thinking specifically about Jeanette McCurdy and Viola Davis. Tom Felton grows up in a shockingly normal, middle-class, and supportive family. He's the youngest of four brothers and the runt of the four of them. He talks frequently about his brothers keeping him grounded and that with them around, it was impossible to get too full of himself for being a co-star of the insanely popular Harry Potter films. I love the stories about his brother being a chaperone on set. While I kind of knew that young stars have chaperones when they're filming, I didn't think about it too much until Felton talks about it. One of his brothers acted as chaperone, and while he clearly wasn't the most responsible chaperone, he still kept Felton on the straight and narrow, and I think children and teens can learn from very different experiences. For example, he talked about his mom giving him the allowance from the studio only a little at a time in order to make it last, while his brother handed it all over on the first day. <laughs> and while I think it might make it tough down the road when he runs out of money, 
I still think it's not a terrible way to learn about budgeting money because this is the money that you get. And if you spend it all at once, you're not going to have any money later on. So he's going to learn quickly that maybe spending it all at once isn't the best way to go with that. His brother also would take him fishing all night rather than Felton getting a full night's sleep. This too is another way to educate, well, maybe not the best way. I mentioned last week about partying in my 20s, and I know I wasn't the only one who would drink most of the night and then go to work on like three or four hours of sleep. When you're younger, you can sometimes run on less sleep. And honestly, it wasn't all the time that this happened for Felton. He got through it, and he and his brother had some really special times together. I love how open he seems about his experiences. Well, it's definitely not the type of memoir that is salacious. He's not spilling the tea on any real drama behind the scenes. He does seem to be matter of fact about things and pretty tactful. He's open about his brother Ash's mental health challenges as well as his own. His friends and acquaintances end up having an intervention in regards to his drinking, and he ends up in rehab. I don't really remember reading this, but I think things might have been worse than he was letting on in the book. You don't get to the intervention point without things being serious. So the root cause isn't the drinking or the drugs that Felton used, but some mental health struggles, which he does acknowledge. Sometimes it's easy to say our problems aren't bad when we look at others, though we really need to look at our own issues in the context of our own lives. I'm glad he got help, and that sometimes can be the hardest first step. I never got to the point where my friends got together and had an intervention, but I had one of my close friends say to me that my drinking was getting excessive and she was worried about me. And that was really the wake-up call I needed. Well, it didn't happen overnight. I definitely credit her loving support for where I am today and what my relationship with alcohol is now. I know Daniel Radcliffe had also talked about his struggles with alcohol and using it to self-medicate. It's so scary that one of the most dangerous substances, that being alcohol, is not only legal, but it's also so readily available. One of the things that I have talked to my therapist about is drinking culture, especially in Wisconsin. It's such a dangerous thing. But let's lighten things up and go back a little bit to when Felton was younger again. His family was extremely supportive. He was never pushed into acting. It was something he was interested in and found fun. It was never that his family wanted to become that showbiz type of family where he supported them with his acting before he was a teenager. His mom encouraged him to trust his instincts, and it seemed as though he was a better actor because of that, and there was never any pressure on him to be successful. It was fun for them, but then everyone would return back to their normal lives. Felton talks about the excitement of staying in hotels and watching TV shows that he didn't normally get to watch and being able to order room service, things that a lot of kids would have found thrilling. When I was a kid and we'd go on vacation, I always wanted to order room service, but we never did. So that was a little disappointing, but we would get happy meals from McDonald's to eat by the pool, which was almost as good because parents almost never got us McDonald's. It was like a once or twice a year treat. Felton's treat was cheese straws, though it's so funny that he mentions that as an obsession of his as a kid, but he wasn't really a big eater. He says he's still not and that he likes plain food. And I am the opposite. I am a total foodie. And I don't relate to those people who say they eat for fuel, not for fun. I want life to be fun. So maybe it's a little more unhealthy way of eating, but I definitely want my food to be fun. 
And I like Felton's philosophy on life. He likes to, quote, immerse yourself in the experience. By doing this in his life, he seems to have had a wonderful time filming, made incredible friends, and kept himself mostly grounded. He talks about the actors he's met and worked with in his career. One of my favorites is when he's young and impressionable and meets Pierce Brosnan. Brosnan was filming James Bond in the same studio where Felton was filming The Borrowers. He only saw him in passing, but it had been Felton's dream to be 007, and sounds like it still might be his dream to play James Bond. He talked about how terrified he was to meet and work alongside of Alan Rickman. He had already been a fan of Rickman's Sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and I was too. And as a child, I'm sure that the Sheriff of Nottingham was terrifying, so to meet him in person would be entirely intimidating. He also tells a story about Rickman's utter frustration with Snape's cloak being stepped on that would completely add to the intimidation and maybe even add in some fear. I'm a full-grown adult, and I wouldn't have wanted to be the one who ever stepped on Snape's cloak. Despite this, he speaks of Rickman with nothing but affection and respect. There were some amazing actors who were in Harry Potter, and I'm happy that Felton called Maggie Smith a true national treasure. I'm a huge fan of hers, and I'm glad to hear she was just as incredible and amazing in real life as she is on the screen. He was also excited to meet Rick Mayall, and I don't know, I didn't know who that was, and I had to look him up. He's a comedian in the UK, and he played Peeves, but as Potterheads know, Peeves didn't make it into the movies, which is a big disappointment. Felton was starstruck by Mayall and asked him to sign a birthday card for his brother, Ash. Mayall did, and Felton says to this day it's one of the things they still talk about in their family. Mark Williams played Mr. Weasley as well as Felton's father in the movie The Borrowers, so they'd already had a bit of a history together. And another one of my favorite parts in the book is a quote about Williams. He always encouraged the young actors to have fun. Felton said, quote, He always seemed to be the first to acknowledge that we were not doing anything important. We were just making films. So it was okay to have fun in the process. Jason Isaacs, who played Lucius Malfoy, sounded like an incredibly fun and unique character as well. And I love that Felton still calls him dad. It's amazing the people we can collect over our lifetimes. While that roller coaster of friendship brings us closer in times and further at others, it's the people we meet in life like this who help us become who we are. And like I shared in the beginning, I've got some amazing people in my life who have helped do that for me. Felton talks about honing these skills needed to interact with fans. While he wasn't nearly as baptized into the Potter fandom the way that Rupert Grint, Emma Watson, and Daniel Radcliffe were, he learned how to live with it. He learned how to put on that different persona that fans wanted to see. This is a part that I honestly find a little sad. Even though he said he didn't want to disappoint the younger fans, I think it's okay to have a distinction between actor and the character that they play. We are talking about humans here and they have lives other than the characters they've played. Felton mentions some scary interactions with fans who can't distinguish between him and Draco Malfoy. It's one thing when it's a five-year-old. It's an entirely different thing when it's an adult woman. Felton reminds us as readers and fans that even the most well-meaning fans can make an actor uncomfortable. While I've never had an interaction with an actor that I liked, I met, have met a number of country music performers and a couple of authors that I like. And it's good to have that awareness. Don't think I creeped out any of the musicians, but I might have creeped out Jody Picole with my grin and freeze routine 
because I was so excited to meet her. <laughs> so sorry, Jodi Picoult, if I made you uncomfortable. As a Harry Potter fan, there were some fun little tidbits about the movies that I really enjoyed reading as well. Felton said that the reaction to all of the kids seeing the Great Hall for the first time was real. The director had not let them see it beforehand because he wanted that authentic reaction. Going back and watching it was fun knowing that it was real. I'm pretty sure I would have the same reaction as those kids even now. There were also Gryffindor and Slytherin clicks in the beginning, which seems extremely natural for children of that age. Felton gives away the magic of flying on broomsticks, so if you don't want that to be ruined, definitely skip that part in the book. He seems incredibly thoughtful and empathetic in his writing. As he has gone through his own challenges, he doesn't seem to judge any of the other actors that he's worked with. He seems incredibly sensitive and mentions that both he and Daniel Radcliffe are this way. And as a sensitive person myself, I wonder how they handle the fame. It's not something I would want or desire. Though, since I mentioned earlier, both of them struggled with alcohol abuse, and I guess that's my answer. They self-medicated until they learned how to manage the fame. Felton also talks about David Holmes, Radcliffe's stunt double who was paralyzed on set in 2009 while filming the sixth Harry Potter movie. And I don't recall hearing about this at the time. It was incredibly tragic and was tough to read. I looked up more about it, and you can check out a few articles in the show notes that I linked. While Holmes seemed to have managed this incredibly well, it's still so sad. And I didn't get a chance to listen to it, but Holmes has a podcast called Cunning Stunts, where he interviews stuntmen and women and shines a light on this incredibly underrecognized career. It's on my list, and I'll be checking it out when I've got time. My list of podcasts to listen to is quickly becoming as long as my TBR list of books. I think that this book was written in a very simple and straightforward style, so it was an easy read. Felton manages the deep themes with honesty and openness while not really analyzing them. It's not the type of memoir that this is. It's a fun read for Harry Potter fans, but not all Harry Potter. It's In that way, it seems very much like Felton himself. His whole life wasn't Draco Malfoy, and neither is his story. As I said in the beginning, it's not salacious, but it is a pleasurable must-read for the Harry Potter fandom. He wraps up the book nicely, sharing his struggles with rehab and hitting rock bottom. He encounters a man who asks, quote, are you a rich man? And Felton learns that wealth doesn't lie in the bank, but in his family, friends, and the magical experiences that he's had in life. I gave this book a three and a half out of five. While I enjoyed it, there were a few things that stood out for me that made it not hit those perfect notes. He puts some of his moments of life in script form, and this felt a little kitschy for me, and it was distracting to me in the flow of my reading. He also speaks about himself in third person at times in the memoir, which was occasionally annoying and grated on me a little bit. I don't recall other authors doing this in their memoirs, and if they did, they did it in a way that didn't maybe bother me as much as this one did. Goodreads gives it a 4.42. The ratings on this are overwhelmingly four and five stars. So to be honest, I think it's important, as always, of course, to take the reviews and ratings with a grain of salt. Most people that read this book are going to be fans of Harry Potter, and I think this skews the ratings a bit. Honestly, I feel a little bad for not rating it higher, but I did want to give it an honest review and rating of the book. Not a book that is part of something that is so magical to so many people. 
One reviewer said, quote, there is something uniquely nostalgic about listening to your first movie crush talk about his time as a child on the set of your favorite childhood fictional world. If you're planning on reading this, get the audiobook. As I said, this was a gift, so I didn't listen to it on audiobook, but I am certain it's a different experience than reading the book. Another reviewer said, quote, as far as celebrity memoirs go, this pretty much hits on all levels you are looking for. It was funny, succinct, and also had its moments of seriousness. Well, I think this is true. It wasn't quite as good as I wanted it to be. I also wanted to take a moment to address J.K. Rowling's comments that many have considered to be transphobic. I also want to make it very clear that I support the trans community and consider myself to be an ally a growing, learning, imperfect, ever-changing ally, but definitely an ally. I've talked about not having an answer to the question of supporting artists and loving art when you don't agree with their message or their actions. It's really something that I struggle with personally. It's something I brought up to a friend and fellow Potterhead. She considers herself an ally as well. We talked about how people of the trans and LGBTQ community don't agree with Rowling, but are also still Harry Potter fans. Well, in no way do I want to continue to support Rowling. I think she's already made her millions, and that our continued fandom doesn't impact her pocketbook in any meaningful way anymore. It's a struggle to take something like Harry Potter away from a generation that read more books because of Rowling. It was and still is magical for millions of children. As another friend pointed out, if we stop supporting Harry Potter, we are also taking away income from those who don't agree with Rowling, but still might make movies or make money off the movies, perhaps even stuntman David Holmes. It's a complicated issue with many moving parts, and I don't want to give up something that I love and find joy in because someone involved is a terrible person. I think Johnny Depp is a horrible person, but I also love the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Maybe it's selfish of me to continue to enjoy the whole Harry Potter franchise. I'm not saving the world and probably not even impacting that many people. And I think that life is short and that we need to enjoy things like Harry Potter. I'm going to enjoy drinking out of my Slytherin mug, watch the movies with my son, and keep reading the books to him. I'm also going to make sure that he and I talk about what it means to be an ally, how we can be accepting and kind humans, and that life isn't always black and white. It may not be the right answer or the best answer, but it's definitely something to think about. It's ignoring it and not acknowledging that some people aren't as welcoming as they could and should be. That is the true problem. Canceling a person, an idea, or an entire fandom isn't always possible. It's how we react to it, though and talk about it. That is what's important. Media recommendations this week, A Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting. This is on Netflix. This is one that my son made me watch. And Tom Felton is in it, so it was perfect timing to share this one. It's visually appealing and has that fun fantasy element. Also, we watched The Borrowers, which uh, Tom Felton was in. It was one of his first movies. That's on Prime Video. And of course, other media recommendations, the Harry Potter books and movies. If you haven't read the books or haven't read the books in a while, go back and reread them because they are still just as magical as they were that first time that you read them. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram at don't read drunk. Email me at don't read drunk at gmail.com. Check out my website at don't read drunk.buzzsprout.com. Also, this is a hobby podcast. 
So if you'd like to support me, you can support me through a one-time donation on PayPal using my email, don'treaddrunk at gmail.com. There is no apostrophe in the don't on any of those things online. You can also support this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don'treaddrunk. Thank you so much to my sponsors, Aaron Ruiz at One Up Till Sunup, who created the music. You can find One Up on One Up Till Sunup on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Also, Avenue Coffee House. You can find them on Facebook and their website at avenue-coffeehouse.com. Also, Supernova Coffee and Donuts Downtown Milwaukee. Next episode, Behold the Dreamers by Mbolo Mambu. Bye, and talk to you soon.